Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From Variety, celebrating more than 118 years covering the business of entertainment, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. I needed all of this, you know, not this work, but I needed it growing up. I needed the movies, and I needed these directors, and I needed these performances. I grew up very lucky and very privileged, but my heart and my imagination, it wasn't simply an interest, it was an identity, and I needed it to even entertain a little bit, that I could mean that to somebody. It's very moving. Pedro Pascal is this year's Emmy Overachiever, receiving three nominations, including one for The Last of Us and another as guest host on Saturday Night Live. He knows his huge success also comes with the duty to be a bit of a mentor and role model to others, just as he once had. I'm Michael Schneider, and on this episode of the award-winning Variety Award Circuit Podcast, we talk to Pedro Pascal about his huge moment, which also, of course, includes The Mandalorian. But first, on the Award Circuit Roundtable, Mark Malkin joins us for a deep dive into where things stand with the SAG after strike and how it has severely impacted events and so much more. It's all next on this edition of the Variety Award Circuit Podcast. Stay close. All right. Well, hello, everyone. Variety TV editor Michael Schneider back here in the house, along with Clayton Davis and Jazz Tanke. And then a real real celebrity in our midst, Mark Malkin. You've got to hang out with more celebrities. (laughs) (laughs) And yet I don't. And yet I don't need to. And he can't. (laughs) Not right now. And apparently Mark can't either, which is why he's actually slumming it with us. (laughs) I should be on a carpet right now. I know. We finally got Mark to show up because he had nothing better to do. Don't say that. What what do you think, George Clooney and Brad Pitt, talking about your new movie, Ocean's 14, and old, old movies, right? We're going to bring on all, we're going to break the rules. That's how good we are. Yeah. George Clooney and Brad Pitt are not here, guys. Ironically, we're going to have to deal with the AI talent at this point. See, this all happened because of chat GBT and you giving it a byline. That was my fault. (laughs) You started it, You created the monster. I let the genie out of the bottle and now here we are. So, but, uh, I mean, Mark, you did a carpet uh, this past weekend with uh, Haunted Mansion and uh, I was joking, you probably were the biggest celebrity (laughs) on this carpet and I'm not wrong, right? Listen, it was bizarre, you know. um, You know, first of all, it's at Disneyland, which is always, you know, a special kind of event for Disney Haunted Mansion. There's a lot running, you know, riding on this movie. Um, I mean, the cast is Keith Stanfield, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, Tiffany Haddish, um, Rosaria Dawson, you know, big Jared Leto, big cast. None of them could be there. So the question was, 
I kept asking Disney all week, like, are you still having a red carpet or is it just going to be a screening? No, still having a red carpet, still having a red carpet. Get to the red carpet. Um, told no one's talking. I'm like, well, who is no one? Because no one is coming. But, you know, is Justin going to talk, the director? And Disney yeah, was yeah. like, no, he's probably not talking either. And I was like, that's weird. I feel like Justin wants to talk. Yeah, this is Justin Simeon, mm, uh, yeah. who, you know, also a creator of D.Y. People. And uh, yeah. yeah, good yeah. good guy. So he shows up. He has a cape on. He's, you know, mugging for the cameras. And, you know, I just asked the public, is he talking? He said, oh, yeah, no, he's talking. So we did talk to Justin. Um, you know, uh, you know, we, uh, you know, I asked him about the Bob Iger comments. I asked him about what it's like, you know, premiering this movie. This is a big deal for him. This is his first big, yeah. big, yeah. big, you know, budget. Uh, film and you know like Justin said he's sad and he's disappointed not at the cast for not showing up but at the circumstances yeah and but then the other people I'm doing air quotes right now podcast world um, was Cruella DeVille the evil queen Maleficent on the carpet you know Disney brought in their character Mickey and Minnie Mickey and and Minnie um, they weren't talking Uh, (laughs) (laughs) wouldn't it have been amazing if Mickey just came out and said yeah fuck Bob I can't can't do Mickey I mean the evil queen could have done that because that makes sense right Maleficent of course um, so it was very strange. And then, you know, you go in the theater and, you know, uh, Justin spoke a little bit, um, talked about, you know, obviously did a shout out to his cast. Um, you know, jazz was there. Um, and then we all went home. Yeah. Um, so, you know, my big question was like, if the stars don't show up to a premiere, did the premiere really happen? Um, and in this case, the premiere did happen. And how will that affect box office? Where you know they didn't get a whole string of publicity this week from the premiere. That said, Disney knew the strike was coming, or you know predicted that it could be happening, and they had the cast do a lot of publicity beforehand. Yeah, they banked a lot. I, yeah. I noticed in the press release they they quickly like uh, they had an EPK ready, and they had well uh, back in June we talked to uh, yeah, yeah, and the they did. They were um, they were at the essence. Um, Film Festival, Essence uh, Festival uh, last week or the week before. Jamie Lee was there, Tiffany, Rosario, Lakeith, um, with the intent of let's get some publicity here. Let's, they did Junket Press down there where, you know, right now the Junket probably would have been this week going into the release. Um, so, you know, a lot of movies have done this and TV yeah. shows have done this too where they, they did stuff beforehand, but it was um, it was strange. It was definitely surreal. So, who else was uh, on the carpet covering al- alongside? I mean, it was very very little press, and that's the thing. Disney carpets. If you've ever been to a Disney carpet, no matter what it is, it's just literally the carpet feels like mm-hmm. it's three miles mm-hmm. long. You know, when they take over Hollywood Boulevard, they literally take over Hollywood they take Boulevard. It over. Um, here it was me, uh, local ABC, a D twenty three crew, AP was there, just a cameraman, not a reporter. And I want to say maybe Roy, maybe a Reuters or AFP. Um, uh, so, and a handful of photographers. Um, so, not a lot. So, that said, if you have AP there, it's a wire service. So, that'll go out everywhere. Yeah. yeah. But it still makes me wonder how this is also impacting, say, the entertainment news magazines, the entertainment tonights, and the Access Hollywoods that 
depend on carpets and junkets uh, to fill a lot of their airtime. With, with A-listers especially. Yeah, I mean, I think what you're going to see is a lot of these entertainment shows. You know, I was talking to someone the other day about this at an entertainment show, and you're going to see musicians because they can do lots. Um, and you're going to see when a, when a celebrity has some kind of brand deal, you know, if they're the new – I'm just making this up. If there's a new spokesperson for L'Oreal, L'Oreal, Chanel, or, whatever. That's my deal. Well, Chanel, probably. <laughs> those A-listers are probably not talking to the entertainment shows. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think you're going to see things like, oh, it's Charlize Theron's birthday. Let's do a fashion flashback. And they'll do, you know, a, writer, uh, a story around her and just do her fashion stuff. That said, you know, for the entertainment shows, you know, the tough thing for them always is like, oh, you got to talk, you know, the, the studios and the celebs are always like, you have to talk about the project where they don't want to. The entertainment shows just want to talk about personal life. So now they go to a brand mm, thing. Right. They yeah. have to ask about the movie because they can't. Yeah. 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 So, I would love the PR person that says, listen, don't ask anything about their personal life right now. Right. Like, okay. So, what are you talking so, about? so we're just not talking. Right. About right. It. Exactly. So we don't need to talk to them then. Yeah. <laughs> At all. Yeah. Well, interestingly, we just had two like high profile break ups with uh, Sofia Vergara and uh, also Ariana Grande so they 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 do have that content yeah <laughs> they they, I mean they do I mean listen <laughs> entertainment tonight last night that's what they let off with not the strike it was they let off with you know the big breakups yeah. so that you're not going to get Ariana Grande anyway to, to come talk on about air to talk yeah. about it so you know yeah. business as usual in that sense right right and then on top of that all the unscripted stars which have really sort of become much more of a dominant force in a lot of these shows anyway yeah, and, and even in before the magazines the yeah. yes so cuz they're they're accessible so you know if you could have a sit down with whatever housewife or a Vanderpump rule person um you're going to do that to fill your air and then you know what follows is the fans follow it and so on and so forth. Yeah, yeah. For 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 most of these shows, it's having an impact. For Andy Cohen, it's just a Tuesday. It's just, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't really impact his show all that much. No, no. I mean, enough. it'll, I mean, it'll, I mean, I mean, the other thing is what we have to realize is this is all happening when everything does slow down to begin with. Yeah. Before the strike. So, like, you have the big movie premieres, you have the Mission Impossible, you have the Barbie, you have the Oppenheimer. We wouldn't have had any Anything other else, big premieres right. coming up anyway. So it's sort of happening at the time where it's much slower to begin right. with. Right. The dog days of July, late yeah. July and August. Everyone where... goes on vacation. So no one's doing promotional stuff. And the big summer movies have come out. And now we're going into you know Clayton's territory to the festivals. Yeah, and that's the, the will, bigger. Will that even be in right. my territory anymore? <laughs> yeah, uh, no, we're, we're all having this ex- existential thoughts of like, what is my purpose? Yeah. <laughs> like, what, I've what, always had those. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, I mean, and, and to, to the festival. Fr- I mean, to the festival front. I, I'm sure there was a little bit, and we don't know this at time of recording if the Emmys are officially moving yet. So let's just preface it with that. But the idea of the Emmys moving, I'm sure, initially made. Toronto very excited because it was going to be their first weekend of the festival, which it was last year, and then kind of got condensed into this one pocket where everyone then fled on right. a Sunday yeah. night. Um, and then now that the strike and you have real optimists in this industry that will come to you and say, I think this is only going to be like a month. And I'm like, where are the, where's the evidence of that? Yeah. I mean, I, maybe you know something. You yeah. Like, maybe you just know something I don't, but then there are the pessimists who say this is 2023. Yeah. No, I, I mean, listen, the other day, um, 
I was walking my dogs, um, and this woman came up to me, a neighbor who recognized me from Variety, and we started talking, and she's an actor, and, you know, it always comes down to, like, how long do you think this is going to last for? And yeah. I said, you know, I, the other day I was feeling really optimistic, and I felt like the studios would come around and, and really sort of start caving, you know, start um, caving in or, or, or giving the union some of the stuff that they're asking for. And she looked at me, she goes, that's because you look at this from humanity. the studios studios don't care you know and I was like and then you know obviously I I think you know my my brain goes to I think this would have ended sooner had Iger not said what he said I think Iger has fueled it so much like just gone everywhere you think it had that much of an impact that that interview I well, think that went so. everywhere. I, well, I think it's, yeah. it just went it's everywhere. cemented for sure. It was gasoline on the fire. Oh, yeah. It came on top of that blind quote in Deadline, right. mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, mm-hmm. we all have a question about where that quote came from and, and how legit that quote is. It but sounded that, like someone who writes for a soap opera. <laughs> <laughs> it's a necessary evil. Uh, right. It, it, we do have William Shakespeare that works in Hollywood. You know? <laughs> but regardless of how legit that quote is, it had an impact. Yeah. Yeah. So it just really yeah. showed the difference between the really rich and the people who are not rich. And, th- and yeah. that's what is fueling this. The whole labor movement, you know, not – Beyond Hollywood, like Fran Drescher has talked about, it's beyond Hollywood. Yeah, and yeah. Iger just literally became the personification yeah. of a very rich, out of touch man. And the big and the big thing that I, I we've all been doing kind of TV heads over the last week. I think there's a, a, a two things to look at: it's perception versus reality. Yeah. The, public's perception of Hollywood is Brad Pitt, George Clooney. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's the one percent, and then there's the ninety nine. So they they view as SAG striking is the one percent is on strike, and that's not the case on either side. There's a finite number of Aaron Sorkins right. in the and, world, yeah. and I think I think that's what the the Iger comments sort of help SAG in the sense of like. They were able to say, "Look, this this is the problem. He's really, really That's rich the body. people. Look yeah. where he yeah. is right now, saying yeah. these words. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right, right. And, and I think the 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 thing is, Iger has uh, among all of the moguls had always been seen as a little bit more of a diplomat. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. He hadn't really been put in with the the Zaslavs, the Shazos, no. right? Yeah, and no. and the fact that he came out and and said things in that way." Uh, sort of disheartened a lot of people because it's, uh, a lot of people thought, okay, if if Iger maybe could be the level-headed, uh, you know, mogul in the room who could help solve this, then maybe we could get somewhere. But now that he's seen as oh, part of the problem as well, mm-hmm. there is uh, everyone sort of looking for that that savior, that that person to come in and and the level-headed person to resolve all of this and now we don't know who that's going to be or or is there anyone out there yeah. there's no one who's sort of has put that forward yeah not hearing yeah. there's no you know oh yeah i'll tell you the the disheartening thing is there are a lot of people this past week who suggested that maybe barry diller would be that person, well, and and the, these are people who forgot who Barry Diller, who was the model for Mr. Burns. Mm. <laughs> yeah. If if you're relying on, if you think Barry Diller is going to come and save, this but what industry. is that well, saying? Well, right? it was That's interesting. Concerned. Well, it was interesting because Barry Diller. I think a lot of the Barry Diller talk has come from his appearance on Face the Nation this weekend, and I watched it. You know, and it's 
I'm sitting there, I'm like, where is Barry Diller right now? Is he on his yacht? Is he on, you know, he was mm. fu- dressed, but it was Barry Diller who was saying, you know what? These guys are overpaid. Mm. You know, the guy who is sitting, you know, right. probably yeah. on The guy who was yacht, overpaid, yeah. Who is overpaid. Um, and it's very easy for him to now say that. But if that's sort of, it's the Barry Diller of the world who's saying, come to the table and you guys got to take a drastic cut. Not dra- I mean, here's the deal. You make $20 million. Let's, and I'm not an economist. I'm not a business. Let's say you make 20 million, you, you know, Bob Iger makes $40 million. Slice that in half. Is your lifestyle really going to change? That's I mean, what I, well, I mean, that's been the whole, and you brought this up before, like the labor movement all around. Yeah. Elizabeth Warren famously in like two seconds explained how we could make universal health care by taking two cents of every dollar or whatever mm-hmm. from right. the rich. And it would it would give everyone universal health care. There'd be like homelessness would be done. And there is this like fight right now of everyone's looking for uh, – bring it to another political day. They're looking for Joe Biden in this because like there were the Bernie bros mm-hmm. that were like, listen, we want it. You know, we want everything. I think a lot of them are out and loud. They want to see the, the whole Hollywood system burn to the ground. And then there are, you know, the far right side that just were like, listen, like that's the system's made where we love capitalism. You know, you, you want to work, you know, you, you want to make more money. Yeah. Make more good stuff. You know, people notice it, blah, blah, blah. And that's not right either. So right now we are in a game of Hollywood chicken right now. Everyone's waiting for the other person blink still right now, as we speak, they are not speaking. No one has gone back to the table yet. To your point of like, how long is this? We're not even close. Right. So, it's like, is this going to end the, in a month? The federal mediators, no. I think, gave a really false perception of hope that this would end quickly. But See, the, I did – the federal mediator, I was just like, they came in in the, like the last minute. And I understand it was like you know a Hail Mary yeah. kind of thing. But I was like, I feel like they weren't just going to come in and be like, well, here's yeah. the residual. Yeah, I mean, it was, they, they were good, it was like eight hours. Right. Yeah. 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 Like, 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 and, and are they even still around now? Yeah. I well, mean, well, what I, well, I would say yeah. that, that I, for me, that just told me how far apart they actually were. That they were like, let's mm. just bring someone in because yeah. yeah. we think each side is being ridiculous in this. And there mm-hmm. is, again, I think general public knowledge is very little. Once this seeps out into, I say, my mom, my brother and sisters that like don't know Hollywood like that, mm-hmm. once they start going like, What's a residual check again? Like, why Why are they getting paid, like, $27 for Orange is the New Black? Like, once they start saying that, then I think studios really lose the argument. Right now, it's just feels like inside baseball. It's inside, well, yeah. and, and because, you know, going back to what you're saying about this this country talking about pay inequity and, and uh, inequality, et cetera, we're not having that conversation on a national level, and we need to. We're, we've been so sort of sidetracked by the, the right wing, and – they're they're framing the conversation about wokeness and culture, culture and, and and all of this, which means nothing when we should be talking about you know pay and and uh, inequities and and the fact that there is the the one percent that owns the majority of the wealth in this country yeah. and it's just gotten worse uh, over the past forty years because of Reaganomics kicking yeah. things off and, and where we are now and why aren't we having that conversation? Instead, they're trying to distract us by discussing the culture wars and, and it's all about, you know, wokeness. And, 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 and I think as, as, as SAG and WJ really get a boost in their campaigns of this when 
they're able to tell those stories like the Orange is the New Black actress opening her residual check and saying, here's $27 for my hit show. Or I think the, the Mark Proch interview from What We Do in the Shadows, him saying that like he makes more money from residuals from his time on The Office, which, by the way, came after Steve Carell left The Dark Years. Yeah. You know, him saying that he makes more money on that than he does as the fourth lead of What We Do in the Shadows that's currently on television says something. And I think that is what starts rippling and getting more notoriety and eyes on it. And then maybe at some point someone goes, okay, could we come back and talk about this again? Right. What is it that you actually want? We saw the side-by-side that they release and it didn't, it didn't look good. It no. really didn't. And I know there's arguments from the studios that that's not really what it is, but we haven't seen their side-by-side comparison. Well, and, and part of the problem too is that, you know, legitimately this industry is collapsing. And, you know, we're, we're seeing the, the, the economics of this business just flattening out and the streaming revolution did not work. And it worked for a minute. You it, know, it was always my, my thing always was, again, I'm not an economist, uh, economist. <laughs> I can't even say the word. You're not so a money guy. I'm, I'm not a money guy. Thank <laughs> <Yeah>. you. Um, <laughs> You know, and I would always say, I'm like, how does Netflix make the money? And everyone's like, subscriptions. I'm like, but that's eventually going to flatten out. There's only so many people in the world, you know. Um, And by the way, like, I can't figure out most of the stuff. Like, and I'm in the business. Like, I think I have a Hulu account. I don't know if I have a Hulu Mm -hmm. account. You know, it just, you know, that, like you said, like that, that boom is over. Like, everyone was so excited. Everyone was so excited. Until they see what the average worker yeah. is getting out of this, and it's not much. Yeah. Or uh, 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 the way I also uh, compare it to, I think what you were just saying about the industry flattening, this happens every decade or two decades that entertainment goes through an evolution. So, you know, it was, you know, from silent films to talkies, then, you know, talkies to, you know, we went black and white to color. Radio got hit huge, you know, when TV yeah. came around. So we go through this every few millennia. Yeah. And I think we're in this our next yeah. one right now. And what it looks like, I mean, we've all said like, we feel like we're reinventing cable again because there's going to be some idea someone comes up with like, what if we had all the streamers connected in a box and then we played ads in between shows? Right. Oh, that's called television. And then, <laughs> like, I think we can make money off that. We're like reinventing something and calling it something else. But as we go to Middleburg every year and I always – like it's a very rich town. And I always say, what money is here? And they tell me AOL money is there. The guys who cashed out on AOL, AOL before yeah. it went like to mm, nothing. Yeah. And I think that's what will happen. You'll see a bunch of cash outs. There will be a reinvention of whatever the next big thing is. And then we will get angry in another and, decade or yeah. so. It, it's just tough to see where things go because don't forget we all work in an industry that once upon a time was hugely profitable. The print journalism, newspapers were yeah. tremendously profitable operations, classified ads, yeah. you know, it, it, and and we saw all of that go away uh, and, uh, you know, journalism moved to digital and there aren't the kind of dollars that there were in print and digital and that's never coming back. No. And that's the same thing with a lot of television. Local TV is not coming back. Um, you know, the broadcast networks, they're not coming back. Uh, you know, part of that is because the advertising business has also changed. You know, a lot of the companies that used to advertise on television don't exist anymore. The big box companies, the, you know, uh, you know, Auto went through its own issues. You know, a lot of the blue chip advertisers that used to fuel uh, television just don't exist anymore. Yeah. So it's can I also, all. Can I also ask you with with that? What you're talking about broadcast not coming back, and this 
connects back to the Iger situation. Iger speaking about unloading the one thing that made him rich. Do you think that was also like the nail in the coffin of like guys? Like, for, I mean, nail in the coffin for the SAG and writer strike of like guys. Like, we need to come up with something that works for us because the thing that made him rich, he's talking it's about unloading, unloading. and it's like you know ABC, like linear channel, like all that is going away. Do you think that was like a signal that they need to really hold their ground? I mean, that was an insane thing for him to even mention. I mean, we've all been talking for years that one of the conglomerates are going to jump first. One of them is going to sell their broadcast network mm. operation. Uh, and Disney was always at the top of that list, even though, you know, again, Iger grew up at ABC. That's, that's where he started. And, you know, probably – that's why Disney held out as long as it has and, and still owning ABC and those local TV stations. But at some point, that was going to give and other companies are going to follow. But yeah, I mean, these uh, you know, these companies previously got out of radio. You know, ABC and CBS, yeah. uh, they, they owned radio up until about, you know, eight years ago, 10 years ago. So it's, you know, the, these, these are companies that... Uh, you know, they're, they're not nostalgic. They're not uh, sentimental. They're, they, they will get rid of what brought them if yeah. it means, you know, maintaining the bottom line. Yeah. And we also hear a lot. Uh, analysts have said it. We even heard some studio people say it to us, like, you know, behind the scenes. There's a great consolidation coming. Like, everyone feels like there is going to be at the at the end of this, whatever this is, the next five years, what will be left standing? Will it just be four streamers and like a handful of, you know, broadcast channels. Um, where, how does that feed into journalism? How does that feed in, even like into music? I mean, music went through their big evolution when yeah. Napster yeah. and, Li- yeah. and LimeWire mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And then became all about concerts. And they're, I think they're on the tip about to go through it again because concerts, you know, while well, people are going, but that seems really tailor made for, uh, no pun intended. <laughs> just, I just forgot to do that on purpose. Um, but that seems made for a very select group that can actually go on full world tours and right. make yeah. their money. Right, right. It's uh, it's uh, again the haves and have nots. Yeah, Taylor Swift's doing just fine, but yeah. most artists can't uh, survive on on you know hopping in the van and going town to town, That's why and, I had to and they can't <laughs> I couldn't do it. Clayton Davis live. I couldn't do it. Yeah, he, didn't fi- he didn't fill the bathroom on the seventh floor. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I guess now as we, uh, you know, with Emmy nominations like out, uh, we look to the future of, of fall festivals and what they could or could not look like. There is rumors of like what could come. Some saying that movies are going to be pulled. We see some movies shipped out. Fall TV is going to look, uh, little real real no pun intended there yeah it's gonna be very reality driven yeah there are some gonna be some series because they were cut and edited and all that stuff not many but but some and there's a lot of repurposing going on so if you if you haven't seen yellowstone yet now you'll be able to watch it on cbs well what did they what did hbo say to you that that they're good for the next six months or something yeah they're, they're good yeah until like early 2024 but that's coming soon no, it's 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 a while away, but it's right around the corner. Yeah. You, you said HBO. Who's that? We're talking about Max now. Oh yeah, <laughs> Max, <laughs> Max. Uh, which isn't going to help. No, by it's the way. HBO I, slash slash Max. Max. It's the slash. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, listen, and you know, we're talking about 
um, you know, the general public out there who's not in the weeds every day with us, that's where the general public, the consumer is going to start um, not being happy. Come when, September. Come, when when subscriptions know. are yeah. getting canceled, that's when they're going to – that's yeah. when studios will come back to the table. I'm saying there is a high uh, – that chicken game is going to come into play because – if they can like wait it out, is, is, is it like who do subscriptions cancel first or does the writer lose his house first? Yeah. You know, yeah. like a little bit is that that's what's going on. I mean, when I, the writer strike for when the writer strike first went into effect, I think it was that weekend. I spoke to I spoke to Judd Apatow and he said to me, he goes, Mark, the studios know when they could end this. They have a plant. Mm-hmm. He said, there's no doubt. He goes, they knew it was coming. By the way, contract yeah. negotiations, mm-hmm. we knew were coming f- three years ago. Um, or is it three? Yeah, three years mm-hmm. ago. Yeah. Um, they know. They know when it's going to end. Everyone I've spoken to on the artisan front has said because exactly it's the a, same because thing. it's just them just looking in their books and be like, okay, we we'll move a zero here, we move a zero there, we we'll move a zero there. But it's just when they decide to do it, and are they just going to make the actors and the writers suffer um, as much as they possibly can? Um, is the big question. But yeah, I mean, the studios could end this tomorrow yeah. if well, they wanted to. Every the problem is there. There is no monolith studio. It, it's it's because the AMPTP is so, uh, you know, it's it's these different companies that have different business models, and right. they mm-hmm. don't all have the same. They're not on the same page. Right. Uh, that makes it uh, so that that puts a wrinkle in all of yeah. this because they all have different motivations. They all have different, uh, uh, you know, sort of needs and desires, and and so. Uh, you know, the question is, how much are they on the same page yeah. and what's going to happen in the coming months if mm. they do want to end this strike, but they can't? Someone someone did mention to me uh, today, just casually, said, what if we saw something unprecedented and we saw two deals, one for streaming, one for everybody else? Could that actually be like but offered I, but on this the is table? The, the problem there, that's what we have right now. We have the that's, well, the, that's the, what's the, caused the, the new process. the new media yeah. clause, but, that, but that's yeah. what that's what's caused all this problem is like new media. You know the broadcast. Here's your residual check. It's a lot higher. Here's the streaming check. It's nothing, almost nothing. So, do you look at them as two different entities? But they're really the same entities in the sense of money. Yeah, it's. Uh... And I am going to be the Treasury Secretary. (laughs) (laughs) That's the smartest I've spoken about money in a long time. Balance my check. Mark Malkin for the Fed. (laughs) Come on, we're journalists. We can't even add. That's true. We're not good with math. I'm not good with grammar either, and I'm a writer. So Um, so to encapsulate, right, we we have all the answers. No, I, I think we're, we're mid July, but I can't believe it's like like almost end of July already. Yeah, um, this feels like the longest July on, on record, but I think August, August, I feel will be. I think we're all in agreement here. Will be very telling to see what happens, and I think we talked about this last week. Force majeure. If force majeure kicks in the next month or so, then I think right. Then I, I think I, we sit down for that's a while. that's the yeah. next thing to keep your eye on is is that you know these companies are now going to figure out how to you know really balance their books and and you know cut to the bone and uh you know and and then see if wall street rewards them or, or not yeah on mm-hmm. that uh because there are so many other issues now beyond just okay maybe you're not you don't have any expenses right now but looking down the road you're also not going to have any content. So 
are you going to be making money, you know, six months from now? Right. Um, and you know the problem that a lot of people you know say is is that these companies aren't looking down the road right now. They are just looking quarter by quarter, and that's how they've been governing themselves, and that's why we've ended up where we are. So mm. the question is, do they start to look long term, and what does that mean to you know negotiating a deal sooner rather than later? Jazz, I'm real quick curious because we we sort of mentioned artisans, but you know that's another space where you know the people aren't on strike, but they're also being very much impacted by this. The and IATSE, we could be a year away from an IATSE strike. So are they up next year? They're up next year. Oh, yeah. God. Uh, but but for now, at least uh, you know artisans, craftspeople, you know they they can still talk. Uh, they can still campaign. They they are still out there. Yes. But what is the the temperature like? Well, I think to Mark's point, a lot of them have known or felt that this was coming because come December of this year, they started to see more like less and less job offers come their way. So they sensed it was coming. Um, So they are concerned because they, you know, they struggled through the pandemic. You know, they weren't working. And um, there's only so much if they didn't if they don't health insurance is such a big thing and a lot of them aren't going to meet health insurance come September. The option is then they go to Cobra, which, you know, I spoke to a costume designer yesterday and she said, you know, that, that I think the charge is like 1,200. It's not a great, but I don't have that because I'm going through my savings. So it's like, they're going to be in dire situations unless you're like, you know, there are like the Ruth Carters of, of artisans who probably are fine, but then, there's like it's the day to day it's the day to day ones it's the, it's the grips market, it's yeah. the lighting people you know and yes there is the fund uh the, the you know the entertainment fund that they have access to but how long before that dries up and it's not enough so it's not just impacting the actors who who could you know and the writers who could be homeless like no, you're gonna have just, artists it's, it's, it's everybody, it's everybody. It's the entire that, industry, that's what i've I tried think. to explain even to family and friends who yeah who aren't part of the industry like even, you know, I'm even explaining like, okay, I don't have that many red carpets, right? What does that mean? That means I don't go to my dry cleaner as often as I used to because I need my clothes clean for uh, a right, right, red carpet. Right. I think about how many people in my neighborhood are in the industry who are not using that local dry cleaner, you know, right. and it seems- And that's just one thing. Right, yeah. and that's just one thing, and it seems yeah. like a little thing, but you add all of that yeah. up. The caterers, yeah. the florists. The, the, yeah. the yeah. locations, if they were going to shoot somewhere else, that like just, that city is now impacting their banking right. on that. Right. It'd, be like if the, it'd be like if the Olympics pulled out of a city, like everyone, like you make preparations for this influx of business. Well, when I was at um, the picket lines at Warner Brothers on Friday, I actually interviewed the mayor of Burbank, and I said, what's the economic impact on Burbank? Yeah. And he said, obviously, we don't, you know, the strike just started now with SAG after. He said, but if you look back to the strikes before, it's a huge impact. If there are people not going to the studios in Burbank Small for business, work, yeah. all of those restaurants, everything around them yeah. are all getting yeah. going to get hit hard. But to that point, like I was talking to, to somebody in the newsroom this morning around like nine o'clock and usually or just after our meeting, that four or five should have been red. Traffic is mm. flowing. You know why? Because nobody is going like. They, there's no production. Yeah. So like what there should have been oh. even going home. Like it so traffic still sucks. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> I, was like I come here by but, helicopter, but uh <laughs> no, it, there's I mean, yes, there are the the in the direct but actually there is traffic, I think, in a lot of places because people are 
fired up. I was with Mike at Disney, and it was so hot. And it is, very n- hot and it's right not now. good for chubby guys like me. It's, not, <laughs> it's, a, it's a very hard time for me. <laughs> but we were there, and there's like people are fired up. But I would say there there's like anger. Like people like like it almost like comes. It's like it's deeply rooted. Like it's been brewing for a while. You think about that one family member you had it out with that you were just like for years. I hated you, and I just like I you finally blow up. Like we, even when they talk, there's just like there's like. Again, like, to that they, point, the determination. Yeah, and to that point, and I, I sound like a broken record here. I just think Iger's comments fuel. Oh yeah, that. yeah, fuel. Yeah. If he didn't, it just—it's like you know, like yeah. the crazy uncle at dinner. Like, what are you saying? Are yeah. you insane? Yeah. It'd be like if well, Tom Hanks had said something off the cuff and yeah. be like, "Wait, you're our dad." <laughs> like, right. what no, are you saying? That. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, yeah, and I, I, yeah, Iger. I think was the nail in the coffin. Like, yes. everyone's gonna strike. And we're not, we're going to hold our ground, and now we're just going to wait it out. Yeah, and this is uh, I've heard from more than a couple of people that uh, if if Zenyamuka was still there, maybe <laughs> this would have been no. different. I, like how? <laughs> like who would let him do that interview? Like it's just it's like Zenya would not have let him do. She's that. Like, no, you're yeah. gonna you're gonna stay. Like, or she would have been in his eye line. And yeah. just like and yeah, yeah. Like and giving him hand signals to yeah. this, yeah. this, 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 or threw it, herself in front of the zip, camera. Zip, <laughs> like, zip, and, like, oh, by the way, going. To bring this full circle, Bob Iger was not at the Haunted Mansion premiere. And any Disney premiere of this level, um, Bob Iger is usually in the middle of the carpet. Mm. And he's holding court. And the the cast comes up. They take a photo. The producers come up. And I get pissed because I'm like, really? You need another photo of Bob Iger? Come over here and do an interview. But there was no Bob yeah. Iger at Haunted Mansion. No. Right, right. Which, you know, the 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 optics of him doing that interview at Sun Valley um, <laughs> like, was just what? Bad, bad, bad. Like, just do it at, like, Martha's Vineyard on, on, on the Cape or something. <laughs> like, just, like, on the beach. Like, it's like Chris Christie, during, like, when he was on the beach during COVID. It's like, really, man? Yeah. Like, what are you doing? It, it, yeah, and it, and it did. It, again, it became... The haves and have-nots, like yeah. Yeah. what what you can do versus what I can do. Yeah. Let them eat cake. Let them eat cake. And by the way, coming after he just got three more years. Yeah, at, uh, at, but at, that's at, what like, it feels like right now, though. The French Revolution, like we're literally going to there's going to be the storming of the Bastille uh, at I, some I, point. You know what? Someone said to me, "Is there going to be a Les Mis?" That's exactly what someone said to me. <laughs> they they said this is like Les Mis, and they were like, "But not in a good." They were like. No, the in studio, a bad way. The studios are going to kill everyone. They like, and they were it was very passionate. And I was like, well, that's like scary, but also like pretty accurate description. But this is like, it feels like there's no end in sight. And we want to have resolution, I think, for all of us. And just, I think, bring a nice calmness. We're about to go to a presidential year on top of that, too, man. Yeah, we don't need that. It's gonna, <laughs> no, like, like, I'm just, I'm just yeah, saying, well, yeah. people are already fired the up. The world is upside the, down. The, the debates Literally are going to start down. like, yeah. uh, I think, November. Ish, like the, the the Republican debates, I think start like the primaries. I think start uh, November or something like that. Like there's just going to be everyone's. Gonna, we're just going to be piling on, yeah. and it's going to, and people are just going to get angrier. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I, I'm angry with you, Mike. There's <laughs> anger. There's anger, but there's also determination on like you speak to the people on the picket. Like, yeah, the I, I will say just to be fair, because we should just be fair. There are some on the strikers side. That are using this as like 
the biggest photo op and, and career opportunity boost, like that we can kind of see the way some of them are, are in it. And I do think like, it's not a hundred percent like, Oh, everyone's all together and doing the right thing. Some people are using it to their advantage. So I think that takes away from the greater purpose, but both sides need to, there, there needs to be a give and take uh, both sides. One side is not going to get everything they want. I think there has to be compromise. You want to change the system? Sure. Great. But we're not going to get it all. We, we can't do it overnight. Yeah, yeah. The no one's going to get 100% of what they want. And that, that's what negotiations are about. It's yeah. to that happy medium. Well, I think what we've decided here today is if Bob Iger is not going to be that person to bring the the town together and finally resolve this, it's got to be Mark Malkin. Yep. So I'm putting <laughs> oh, yeah. it on you, Mark. Yep. Mark is going to resolve this story. On a red carpet. I'm on gonna, a red I'm carpet. That's where the peace talks Not right. in a cage yeah. fight. I'm going to ask Bob Iger to come on here. I mean, he's just doing interviews now. Might as well just ask, right? I think, I think he'll be here next week. We'll see what he says. <laughs> he'll he'll jet into the PMC office. Right. Yep. Don't we have a helicopter pad? We do. I think there's something up we there. We don't right? have a helicopter. Or, or that's he, a big myth. <laughs> Or he could parachute, like on, you know, he could be like flying Tom by. Like Tom Cruise, Mission Impossible. Yeah. We'll get him here. Don't worry. All right. All, all right, Bob. See Bob you Iger, week. Tom Cruise, and Mark Open Malkin. invitation. Let's get them all in a Everybody. room. Everybody. We'll figure it out. Well, Mark, thanks for stopping by. Thanks for having yeah. me during these happy times. And Anytime. You are important. You is kind. You is smart. <laughs> you is important. And if you want to like come come outside our houses and just interview like our neighbors, or if you know if you want us to roll out a carpet or, or something. No, someone said to me like, uh, "How many red carpets are you seeing these days?" I said, "The only carpet I see these days is the carpet in my office. Mm. I've got a, some throw rugs in my apartment." But that said, I mean, on and I know you want to end this. There are things happening. There's you know there is. A world beyond just movie premieres and TV premieres mm -hmm. and FYC events. There's fashion here in LA, and um, there will be charity benefits, and I do think the celebs will take part in stuff like that. So, there are documentaries to talk, yeah. to talk about. Yeah. yeah. So, so variety.com for all your entertainment content. For all your entertainment content, content. and for all your Mark Malkin needs. <laughs> Thanks, just Mark. Just a variety. Thank you. Thanks, Love everyone. You, Mark. Bye. 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 After the break, The Last of Us star and three-time Emmy nominee for this year, Pedro Pascal. From Los Angeles, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And we're back. It's the Variety Award Circuit Podcast. I'm Michael Schneider. With nods for Best Drama Series Actor for Pedro Pascal and Actress for Bella Ramsey, among others, HBO's The Last of Us is the first live-action video game adaptation to earn major awards consideration from a top Hollywood awards body, in television or in film. The Last of Us earned a total of 24 Emmy nominations, and Inside the Episode short about the show was also nominated. 
Based on the popular 2013 game for the Sony PlayStation 3, the show tracks the story of Joel, played by Pascal, a self-serving smuggler, and Ellie, played by Ramsey, a headstrong teenager, as they navigate the zombie-infested American wilderness together. He knows the area better than I do. Do you give a shit about me or not? Of course I do. Then what are you so afraid of? I'm not her, you know. Maria told me about Sarah and... No. Don't say another word. I'm sorry about your daughter, Joel. But I have lost people, too. You have no idea what loss is. Everybody I have cared for has either died or left me. Everybody fucking except for you! So don't tell me that I'd be safe with somebody else because the truth is, I would just be more scared. You're right. You're not my daughter. And I sure as hell ain't your dad. Now come down. We're going our separate ways. Pedro Pascal in particular is on a roll right now. He is Emmy nominated this year for lead actor in a drama for The Last of Us, guest actor in a comedy for Saturday Night Live, and narrator for Patagonia, Life on the Edge of the World. Prior to the nominations and before the SAG after strike commenced, Variety's Clayton Davis spoke with Pascal about The Last of Us, The Mandalorian, his career at this moment, and what it feels like to be a role model to young Latinos and Hollywood dreamers everywhere who yearn to sit in the same position he finds himself in. They began by discussing how Pascal sees this moment in time for his career. I can view it in really, really practical terms, in terms of what happened after I got Game of Thrones. Mm which was what felt like a really lucky circumstance and the break that, that, that felt like it changed things um, as far as previous work that were big breaks to me because it meant being able to pay rent and continue. You know what I mean? Paying bills is important. Yeah. Super (laughs) important. And, uh, and, and, and so, you know, this, seven episode arc on the fourth season of game of thrones that David Benioff and Dan Weiss were willing to take a chance on as far as an actor who was unknown by comparison. It hasn't been the same for me since. Um, so it really is that, that, that role, that job, no shit. And then, uh, HBO said, we're gonna keep you in the family, right? Yeah. For a little bit. Yeah. The last of us. Yeah. Uh, jumping ahead. I'm going jump, to jump ahead because, listen, we have so much to talk about. You are uh, sitting with the awards editor at Variety, uh, and I am calling you an Emmy contender. And I, my opinion is all that matters in this uh, landscape of television awards. I just want you to know that. Oh, that's why yeah, I'm here. That's why you're here. <laughs> um, were you ever reluctant to take Last of Us because – some of us still have PTSD from The Walking Dead and yeah. uh, that not going as well as we had hoped it would go. You mean from the start of The Walking Dead yeah, and how the, impressive the, zo- the, the zombie standpoint? Like, you know, it's, right. there's an oversaturation of zombie stuff. Right well, now. can we just talk for a second about where it feels like it started and re- was reinvigorated? Yes. What's your opinion? Which, which, do you, which, which movie do you think? kind of reignited the zombie genre? Uh, I mean... This is a test. I know. I mean, it was definitely pre-World War Z. But oh. I, I, get, I mean, like, I, 
Dawn of the Dead, I guess. Like, uh, what, what, <laughs> good. I want. What, what would you? What would you call? Twenty eight days later. Mm. Twenty eight days later. Even though it's a rage virus, but still was sort of like the conversation about zombies, and I don't know how much of a hit that movie was, but I it's saw a it. Also. <laughs> it's also a masterpiece. Yeah. I saw it in the movie theater, and I had, um, like, you know, that kind of experience as a grown adult where something gets kind of into the fabric fabric of your skin and 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 I had nightmares but they were kind of adventure nightmares and I um I remember that thrill seeking experience like being on a ride but also pretty sophisticated material. I'm going to turn this entire podcast into talking about 28 Days Later. It's 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 our spinoff. Go ahead. (laughs) Um, But anyway, I I, I recognize – I've loved keeping track of everything that happened after 28 Days Later Um, because then I was really surprised by Dawn of the Dead. I thought it was really good and had one of the best openings of a horror movie I'd seen in a really long time. Um, anticipated very much the uh, uh, the start of The Walking Dead, um, and uh, I guess I I guess I really liked the the genre, and um, also felt the oversaturation uh, so much so that I kind of started forgetting about the genre a little bit, and um, then the uh, the Last of Us came along, which inserted itself very spontaneously into my life where I thought that I would be doing something else for the next couple of years within that there was just like a, a, a small window of opportunity where I got a phone call and was asked to look at these scripts by Craig Mazin and I was like the guy who wrote Chernobyl and, and they said yes and um if it hadn't been Craig, I think I wouldn't have looked at them. Not to say, um, I just didn't feel like psychologically reconstructing the future or taking the shine off of what I was planning to do anyway. Do you know what I mean? And, um, and, I was really kind of reluctant from changing the energy up in terms of what I was already planning on, on, on doing, but it was Craig Mason because I hadn't heard of the last of us. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know about the game and, um, cause I'm old. Uh, no, I mean, just uh, cause you're not a gamer, right? I'm, I'm, I'm like, I, my game days are kind of behind me and now it's just yeah. FIFA. I think <laughs> that I, <laughs> I think that I, uh, 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 no, I guess I'm not a gamer in that I don't have the skill with the the, the console. What are they called? Uh, game controllers. Yeah, game yeah, controllers. Yeah. So you can't play Mortal Kombat or anything like that. I, I was good at like um, Super Mario Brothers, late 80s, Punch-Out, um, that stuff. You're and, touching my heart right And now, even right? earlier, like we didn't even have Atari. We had ColecoVision, which mm-hmm. I think was like the the – the the D version of Atari yeah. and uh, it was Mousetrap and uh, Frogger, all that stuff and um, and arcades and the cinemas, you know, uh, and so a, a big gamer in that regard from like the original 
you know, Tron and stuff like that. But uh, not the more sophisticated, you need to be talented and you need to have <laughs> actual, you know, skill. Back to when I got a call and was asked to look at these scripts and if I liked them, the writer, Craig Mazin, would like to jump on a Zoom with you. And um, and so after reading, they, they sent me the first three scripts. And um, I... I I think that uh, as it was expressed in the pilot that was aired, it starts in a very kind of intimate way. And it gradually forces you into a very world-building story. But it is so smartly through the perspective of the character Sarah played by Nico Parker. And, um, and that was immediately engaging to me just as a reader. Like it got me, it entertained me right away. And that's always like a good sign because if the part is good, but the whole thing is like, like if the part is attractive, let's say, because if it isn't good, then the part can't really be good, but it can still be attractive lead type of character. Um, I find that it works better for my brain if I like it as a, as a, as a reader or as an audience member, you know, and I find it like, Oh, I want to see this. You know what I mean? And, uh, so I noticed that right away and met with, um, and, and met with Craig and hadn't even got a chance hadn't even had the chance to finish the first three episodes yet. And, um, and then, and then talked with Craig and had an instant chemistry with him and then kind of felt the draw of working with somebody that I was going to get along with really well. And I know how to get along with everybody, yeah. you know what I mean? But it doesn't yeah. mean I like everybody. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Okay. No, no, we're all going to wonder. But all right. No, but- <laughs> I got it. Not you know yeah. professional like you know you, you at can the, make it, you at can the make grocery store yeah. <laughs> at a job yeah. you know what I mean um, or it isn't you know what that like is too provocative uh, like or not like is too provocative way of a put it. it it doesn't mean that I'm feel comfortable or myself with everybody do you know what I mean not like right now. Where you're just coming alive. I like you very much. Yeah, I like you too. Um, <laughs> I have no problem admitting that. I, I actually have a, I have a follow-up question about it because one thing that I love so much about you and and Joel, the character, is one of my big things I write about here is diversity in film, television. I want to see it. I'm a Latino black man in journalism. Not very many of us are yeah. here. Yeah. Um, you are the goal that I want to see, because when we talk about diversity, we all seem to be talking about different things. You're a Latino in a leading role, but it, Joel doesn't have to be Latino. Joel could be anybody. And that's where I get really excited. It's yeah. like, you're, you're there, you're representing, you're, you're doing some great things and you can just be, you don't have to be like overly Latino. You can just be Pedro Pascal playing Joel and when that uh, and how that translates to the Emmy race, you may not be aware of this. Um, Seventy-five years of Emmy history, one Latino has been nominated for lead actor drama. 
That's Jimmy Smith. Jimmy Smith. He didn't so, win? He didn't win for NYPD Blue. Not lead, not during NYP, that time. I guess start on NYPD Blue. No, you did. Did you really? Oh, hell yeah, I did. We win. We did. Uh, that would have been 1990. Uh, it would have aired. To, no, I, I shot it in 2000. Really? Yeah. Well, life comes full circle now. So <laughs> yeah. I feel like I'm looking at potentially number two and three that's out there, like Diego Luna's and Andor. They're so yeah. – they're. I, like I don't have to just like put all my eggs in one basket. There's right. a lot of baskets here. Do you feel that is crazy? Do you feel that wave coming that you can just be Pedro Pascal an actor versus Pedro Pascal like the Latino guy that we have for Latino roles? Uh, you know, and we love you like on Narcos and everything like that. But yeah. do you feel that that change right now? I think that the change is really important, and that the best way. Um, to continue representation is exactly as you put it, just casting a person into a role that isn't limited to opening the, the, the not limiting to a character to its uh, racial identity. You know, especially if it's an IP that we're familiar with or a book and people get so butthurt about this kind of stuff. But um, who cares? Because that is the coolest way of like moving the needle is um, being open about the casting in every way. You know, I remember looking at a script and thinking, God, wouldn't it be so? And there was this real sort of scary parental figure and it was written as a father in it. And, and then I thought, God, wouldn't it be interesting if it was a mother? Like if it was, you know, Diane Weiss instead of, you know, and sort of treating um, uh, the approach with some originality and let that originality be inclusive. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, you... you Instead of being like this, these are the instructions. This is how we need to follow it. Um, this is the way. This is um, let's label what representation is and follow those. No, that I, I think that that I think that we need to continue discovering it, and 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 um, and making sure that we understand that representation is in service of telling the story instead of fulfilling um, a political frustration, you know, which is totally legit yeah. also. Um, it's very funny. It's a very interesting thing, I think, to navigate, and I think that it deserves all the attention in the world so that we do navigate it and that, we, and that, the, and that the needle does move and that things do kind of, like, change. And yeah. It's awesome. Glad to hear that. Thank, thank you, Pedro. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, um, so I, I need to ask about uh, season two of Last of Us that uh, right now is not happening because time of recording. We are uh, in the middle of a writer's strike. Yeah. And I know you're not a gamer, but – I'm sure you're hyper aware of what happens in Last of Us 2, the video game, yeah. to Joel. Um, this isn't a spoiler alert because uh, video games, I think, are a different animal. But we lose Joel. And we, we lose him. He, what? He is killed. What? Horribly killed. What? In, in In game two. What are you talking 
Yeah, I know. And and, and it also time jumps also uh, in, in the future. Do you, you – because it's such a catalyst for what happens and the, and the show has really close – Semi closely followed that. Um, do you know if we're going to explore that five year gap, or are we going to go right into Last of Us video game part two mode? I, I need to prepare myself if I'm going to lose you very early on in Last <laughs> of Us season two. That's I'll, what I'm asking. I'll always be with you. <laughs> yes. No one is ever gone. <sighs> I want to. I'm misquoting. Uh, Star Wars. <laughs> no, I, I'm misquoting Tony Morrison, <laughs> which is terrible. Yeah. It's it's a, there's a um, version of that everywhere. No one is ever lost or uh, 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 anyway. Um, I actually don't know. And here's the thing. I think that they, if you think about the kind of uh, construct of a show, especially um, as it begins and not knowing whether or not it'll do well or great or not, you know, they, um, they marry themselves very much to the adaptation of, uh, the first game, for example. And I remember back to Narcos, for example, people feeling frustrated that they lose Pablo Escobar as soon as they did, but they already had an outline with the first two seasons and they ended the first season with Pablo Escobar's escape from prison, not knowing that the world would fall madly in love with Wagner Mauda, mm. not necessarily with Pablo Escobar, <laughs> but with Wagner Mauda and yeah. his performance. Yeah. But then they only had a certain amount of months left of the character's life from where they ended the first season. If they had known, um, so who knows in terms of if they could guarantee the success of the show if they would have teased out the first season more. But I think that would be a mistake because ultimately um, there is uh, – they are in service of um, uh, an IP that uh, works really well and are finding very unexpected ways to expand on it. And that being said, I think that part two has – more leeway I think it seemed to me as far as the people that I talked to that it's a different immersive experience and while there are things that have to happen for the central narrative to occur um, it, it seems like it's a little bit more uh, uh, open um, so that means I don't fucking know <laughs> How or they're, or you're, I, how they're you're gonna, really good liar. How they're going to do it. Yeah. Um, will you be – No, I think would, I should know. Would, would you be bummed? And they haven't – Would uh, you be bummed if you died early on in season two? Not if it's good. Okay. You know? Do you know how the character dies I love the, in the video game? good television. Move on. Okay, fine. All right. Uh, I'm gonna, She's Louise. I just wanted you to answer. Maybe they're gonna. Maybe they're gonna. Maybe they're gonna do it. Maybe they're not gonna do it. Okay. You haven't seen the world, so you don't know. You keep going for family. Let's go to Mandalorian. The helmet, the man under the helmet. It 
really did explore some new territory this year. And Star Wars continues to be a very interesting world-building experience. Um, what uh, I, I spoke about it uh, recently that uh, your co-star um, will be campaign and lead actress this year for the show because – the show really centered around her character around Katie. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I just said her name, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know her. Yeah. 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 Yeah, That one. What was it like, uh, this season because it really, uh, put a focus on, on her and I guess where we can go from here. I think it was great in that it also comes into a full realization of a beloved character that is from the world of Dave Filoni Mm -hmm. and, you know, Bo-Katan because Din Djarin is a creation that starts with combining the worlds of uh, Star Wars, Jon Favreau and Dave Filoni and introducing this character uh, through the live action show, The Mandalorian, and then creating the opportunities of pooling references and, um, and live action characters from his uh, Dave Filoni's beloved animated series. And so sure. We, everyone gets to kind of, experience the excitement of the character being introduced and she's a badass and um it's perfect casting and i am a big battlestar galactica fanboy. Really? yeah big time uh i own the dvds <laughs> i'm i'm a i'm a i'm, I'm happy you own physical media physical there, media it, forever, right? forever thank you i still can't think of anything that has a better intro than Battlestar Galactica every episode. Yeah. Just the thrill of the drumbeat <laughs> and being showing you what was going to happen in the yeah. episode, but still throwing Not. your scent off of what was going to happen in the episode. And, um, and, and so I remember Dave talking to me about the possibility of casting the voice actor uh, uh, of Bo-Katan in the live action role. And I was like, Davey Sackhoff, you have to do it. And so anyway, just think it was perfect that we get to meet and see the character and she gets to do cool shit in the second season and then take center stage in the third. And, um, it's what I would want for, uh, the character and for, and, and as a fan of, um, uh, the Clone Wars. Your cult fractured our people. Where were you then? This this year, the fans were uh, denied my face. Your face. This season have a. Definitely a more vocal voice performance more than anything else. Is, is, does that operate differently for you versus like any other time uh, during the seasons, the previous seasons? It's been such an interesting experiment throughout in that um, there was limited time for me on set in the first season um, and, uh, uh, and, and kind of a, a collaborative process of creating and establishing a physical presence that was like based on um, 
what they needed for the character, what the costume, what the silhouette is, um, what you know, uh, what Brendan Wayne can do, um, what Latif Crowder can do, and um, and 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 what was important to uh, John and Dave and me as far as a, a physical language was concerned, and then stepping into it for the majority of season two. Um, because I wanted to, and I wanted to, um, sort of, uh, see how far little could go. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, uh, and, and it was really cool, but the, 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 but very hard, you know, and, um, very physically demanding in a way that number one, the show needs to get shot. Mm -hmm. And there are so many uh, departments and elements that go into creating the visual experience of that show. And so, so many bodies Uh, and, um, and, and it didn't seem, you know, true to be concerned with, um, Dinjarin's face and being really economical if it was going to get done then for it to have the most amount of impact there was actually a version of an episode in season two where he takes his helmet off in the beginning of the episode and is in a different kind of a costume and um and and uh and then and we had a conversation and we like and I was like, I think we should hold it. And they're like, what are you, are you crazy? And I was like, no, <laughs> I really think that, that, that it, 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 it should come when the stakes feel the highest, you know? And, um, and look, that's not, I'm not the outlier of the universe who doesn't care about, you know, my face or, or, uh, but it it didn't. I would I would much rather the show work than um, betray it to any kind of like you know human need to be seen because the show was presented to me as the Mandalorian and all of its like uh, visual uh, uh, identity. At that point, there was so much experience for everyone involved in terms of authoring this character that, um, that it was I, able to become mostly a voiceover gig for season three, um, uh, for the most part. And, um, and, and always maintain what the initial experience was, which is very, very surgical, post work um in terms of the writing the dialogue the tone even stuff i was on set for being able to kind of like review that again hear how it sounds it's unbelievable how well they pick up there's a mic pack like you know packed into the helmet and um being able to um being able to again reauthor be like let me make this sound a little more intense um and in, in such a surgical tiny way and so yeah it was it's it's been it, it, it's it's harder work than you think and it and 
and and more fun than you would expect as well. I can get a little uh, granular, you know? Uh, my brain can get a little... And so it's been a great opportunity, and John Favreau has always, like, really been um, so collaborative, especially in that process of it. But just a quick shout-out to Disney and Star Wars peeps, because you're... This season, I don't know, again, inside baseball, people, regular people may not see, uh, but Crowder and Brendan are credited yeah. with the opening credits. Like, yeah. that is, we, we fight for stunt people to get their recognition all Absolutely. the time, and Absolutely. it's good to see see their names on there. Awesome. Uh, I know we have, uh, I don't want to keep you all day, even I do want to keep you all day. Um, strange Way of Life. Yeah. Because you are a film guy as well, and I, my philosophy is you're, are only a great actor if you have a good Oscar snub under your belt, and you do because I believe you should have been nominated for the unbearable weight oh, of massive last year. I, you can read the article where I say where is Pedro's nomination. Oh man! And now you're going to team up with my uh, other favorite guy, Ethan Hawke. Yep. And, and you know this up and coming director, also named Pedro. Right. Talk about strange way of life and filming that with Pedro. That's a short and really should be a feature film. That's three hours long. Oh man. Oh, yeah. There you go. Has Pedro ever made a three hour movie? He wouldn't dare. I don't think so. No, cause he respects my time. Exactly. <laughs> and people's, uh, lower back issues. Um, you know, I saw women on the verge of a nervous breakdown in the movie theater, uh, Balboa Peninsula, Orange County, California with my whole family. And, um, it really was the kind of thing that changes your DNA. DNA. Exactly. When you see that level of color, that kind of comedy, that kind of um, uh, uh, sexual atmosphere of every kind with every facet of um, dangerous, functional, tragic, you know, um, a kind of circus of energy and also homaging all of um, very specific uh, classic cinema and uh, theater. And I seem to, at a very young age, be able to absorb all of that. And thereafter, uh, Pedro being a favorite of my family's um, didn't miss anything that he made after that. And so it was a dream to meet him, number one. He actually reached out to me. And when I was doing King Lear, I was playing Edmund in a Broadway production of King Lear that Glenda Jackson was, was, was the king. And he had reached out and was very curious about the production and wanted to come and see it. And he was like, how long is it? I said, it's three hours and 45 minutes. And he was like, I bet it all. <laughs> You know, uh, he's like, maybe we meet for coffee instead. <laughs> and, um, and was kind enough and had nothing in mind for me at all. Really? Simply just, uh, uh, people in common and was, uh, aware about how vocal I was in terms of, um, my admiration for him. So very, very generously, uh, reached out. Um, got together for uh, some coffee and just chatted away and uh, established a connection and a relationship. And then a couple of years later, he um, 
he reached out. I, I hadn't even seen Pain and Glory uh, it, when, I, when, I, when I sat down with him the first time. Uh, I don't think it had come out yet. You even know that Antonio Banderas was about to get an Oscar nomination. They were unaware. Look at that. For me, that was the performance of the year. It was, you it's know, great. there were incredible performances all around uh, that year, but um, I wasn't surprised by what Antonio Banderas did, but I was still floored because he's always turned it out and everything, but it was still kind of um, something so moving in that he seemed to come up with an interpretation that was not... Um, what do you call it? Mimicking is too patronizing of a word, but basically, uh, you know, playing Pedro, but it was almost like playing Pedro's soul in a way. And a person that he has known personally and professionally for so many decades, I just haven't seen anything like that. I haven't seen that kind of authorship in a performance where there are so many layers of doing it you can come up with you can study a person physically but it wasn't that it was more like i understand you and am going to do that but anyway uh i remember that just moved me so much but um then a couple of years after i sat down with better in new york he called me on christmas eve and said that he had a short film that he that he that he wanted to do with me and um, and I said Merry Christmas, and he was like, he's like, yeah, no, I, is it Christmas? I don't, I don't, I don't do, I don't, I don't, I don't do holidays. And I was like, I'm with you. I'm home alone, like hiding from the world. Oh no! Can you come to my house for Christmas? I'm yeah, gonna, absolutely. You can come to my. My wife is the best cook I know. There was another wave. There was another Los Angeles wave. This was a Christmas, uh, twenty twenty one probably twenty one into twenty two. Yeah, remember. When it, when we, we were had like another thinking, wave during was, the holidays. Yeah, it was like right before BAFTA and everyone got like COVID. Yeah, then. yeah, exactly. And then, you know, the conversation started there. And uh, I was shooting The Last of Us at the time. And, uh, and, and I think that it's fascinating to see him get his feet wet with uh, English language because it's... Uh, um, there are cultural identities that can sort of um, uh, uh, marry themselves a little bit more with identities outside of their culture, if that makes any sense. And Spain, I would not say, is one of them. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's a very, very firm identity um, as far as uh, 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 cinema is concerned. And, uh, and, and so it's... If, it's so beautiful to see Pedro as the artist that he is to kind of be like, I'm not going to, God knows how many offers from Hollywood he turned down after uh, Women on the Verge or Law of Desire or any of the things that started to emerge in his sort of career of the yeah. 80s. I suppose you talked to her like when he won the Oscar for that. Exactly. Yeah, Honestly, I can't even imagine the amount of time, the amount of times he was asked to kind of come in and do a feature. Um, all of which he said no to. And to meet somebody who is 
uncompromising in terms of what their process is because it isn't um, a standard, but it's just being true to themselves. You know, I don't, I can't, um, I can't understand it in any other way. And, and, and for him to sort of use the, the short film experience with Tilda Swinton and then move into um, this experience with uh, Ethan and I and Ethan. Talented guy. I saw the Explorers in the movie theater. Does anyone even know what that is? I've heard of the Explorers. I don't think I've ever. It's seen like the it, realm though. of like in the the same wave of like the Goonies. You know, yeah. my favorite movie of all time is Dead Poet Society. I saw Dead Poet Society yeah, in the, the movie theater. Yeah. And then I went to, you know, I started college and saw Reality Bites, and then he published a book, and then I saw him off Broadway, and then on Broadway, and then I saw him direct a play, and the Before uh, Sunrise, Before Sunset, Before Midnight, being my favorite um, movies, are again another sort of authorship and rebellious kind of career, refusing to limit it to any one thing. Also, shout out, he may win an Emmy this year, too, uh, for directing The Last Movie Stars, his documentary, which is... Which I got to watch while we were shooting uh, (laughs) the movie together. So it was this highly magical experience in 117 degree temperature (laughs) in Southern Spain, um, in, um, beautiful layered, uh, Saint Laurent Mm -hmm. costumes, but still with two legends kind of sandwiched between them and serving as sort of, uh, 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 a language interpreter as well. Pedro speaks great yeah, English yeah. as much as he says that he doesn't. Yeah. Um, he plays it up. <laughs> he gets he gets by just fine yeah. with the English and um, and and so it was. I couldn't have written it myself as far as the experience was concerned, and also the feeling that it was to be listened to and to be um, and for them to want to you know what I mean to be a colleague of. These people. A woman was found killed in town. You're doing this uh, film called Too Gladiator, Too Furious, right? That's what it's called? That's the working title? I call it Gladiator 2 Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> um, I, I, with uh, Paul Mescal, which he's also a troublemaker to go looking for his own good. Is he a he, troublemaker? He's just, like, you know, like, he's... Well, like, like you, just let's like, take care of that. Yeah, we'll, we'll you, talk to him on set for me and tell him that you have to, you know, bring him sit higher than him. Cut like the you shit, are. Paul Meskel. <laughs> yeah. When it got announced that you were in Gladiator Two, it said an unknown role, but Clayton Davis loves Walking Phoenix, uh-huh. and I see similarities in things between Pedro and Walking, and I was wondering. Not that you would answer this anyway. If you knew your, if you were willing to share what role you would be playing on in the film, because I have a you're theory. Just, you're just lubing me up. I'm just, I'm just, I'm asking what the people 
You're telling me that, he, that I remind him of Joaquin Phoenix so that I can literally get fired by Paramount by telling him, I'll be like, what? You think I'm like, you think I'm like Joaquin Phoenix? Let me tell you everything. Here are the keys to my house. Um, I invited you over to spend Christmas. We can extend that. I have an extra room for you. Uh, But how excited are you to do that? And what are you willing to tell us about the picture? Um, I haven't, I haven't been put into a, in and under any instruction, but you know how scared we get in terms of misstepping on all this stuff. We, it's such a scary landscape to kind of navigate. I used to, um, it's never caught, it's never caught up to me, but boy, not on a, not with a microphone in front of me or anything like that, but I definitely talked to an Uber driver about everything. Um, about all your Uber drivers. <laughs> we can get, we can piece it together. I remember being uh, in uh, going, being in an Uber in London um, before starting uh, to shoot Wonder Woman, and um, and a, a very uh, conversational uh, Uber driver asking me what I was doing in London, and me telling him, and then gradually starting to explain the entire plot of Wonder Woman 1984. Um, and, 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 and realizing maybe I shouldn't, uh, maybe I shouldn't do that. But anyway, that being said, um, I think that I, I can only say that as we were talking about Almodovar, um, the idea of, um, being on a set, but one of Ridley Scott's sets, three of his movies being in my top 10. And this is coming from a movie nerd. Um, I have to ask you which three. I have to ask you to guess. Thelma and Louise. Yes. Black Hawk Down. No. No. Gladiator. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I love it. Uh, I love Gladiator. I mean, I really uh, love the Blade movie. Blade Runner. You're a Blade Runner Blade guy Runner. for sure. Blade Runner. Dude. And Blade Aliens. Runner. Yes. There you go. Well, take the uh, plural out of it. Oh, oh, Alien. Alien. Okay. He didn't direct Alien. Oh, yeah. Clayton. I'm sorry. I, did, I, didn't, I knew this. I knew this. I misspoke. Don't my let bad. me down. My, my bad. Down. My bad. Yes. Uh, so Alien, Blade Runner, and Thumb and Louise. Yeah. That being said, I uh, would kind of play anything. <laughs> okay. So long story short, no, you're not telling us, but you're excited to work with Ridley Scott on this role that may or may not be just like Commodus. And Denzel Washington and, uh, and Paul Meskel. And, um, and, you know, that is again, stepping into or continuing to step into territory that feels like, um, Really exciting is such a pedestrian way of putting it, but I I don't know if I'll ever be able to kind of shed the identity of um, someone who was under the influence of these people for as long as I was, specific to the, you know, late 70s, 80s, early 90s, in terms of my brain being a sponge and wanting to be on the screen or on the stage. And so... Um, uh, it's kind of an, it's, it, it, it is a little bit of an awkward, 
uh, uh, experience sometimes because yeah I'm, I'm invited to the table and I'm I, and I've I have a seat at the table and I and I deserve to be here but you know the <laughs> other part of me is like glitching out on imposter syndrome a little bit uh, t- c- imposter syndrome related and 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 just sort of like uh, 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 under the blanket of like admiration you know and i think that that's something worth coming into full acceptance of because i wouldn't be here if it weren't for those influences and therefore if that takes precedence over or if that takes up the space of like where i'm supposed to um uh feel entitled to be there then uh, fine you know i get and last question after we have to call you out on something because in 2020, October 2020, you were on the cover of Variety. Yes. And a wonderful story written by my colleague, Adam Barry. Yes. And in said story, you said you were offered Wonder Woman 1984, and you said that will never happen again. <laughs> Fast forward to <laughs> May 2023. <laughs> you lied <laughs> to Adam Barry and the rest of us because you have been offered many roles Long in not in, in the same way in in the streamlined sense of you are you're riding a wave of star power admiration what, what you say Denzel Paul Meskel really Scott you know Ethan Hawke Pedro meant to you you're you're meaning a lot to a lot of other people I don't know if you've taken that part in quite yet all right I'm not going to argue mm-hmm. with you. But what does it feel like to have that statement be wrong? Have you be so wrong in October there's, 2020? I think, you know, there's something in me that is, I think I could have been a good trial lawyer because all I want to do is argue your point <laughs> and be like, technically, I'm not wrong. Uh. Because what I meant was <laughs> the way I was offered uh, Wonder Woman um, is still sort of uh, hasn't happened in that it just seemed like at the time, it seemed like at the time I didn't, like a gift, like a real just here you go, we'll which work. seemed crazy to me. Well, um, we're semantic. That's there, fine. That's <laughs> fine. That's fine. <laughs> but um, I want to be able to fulfill the assignment, you know, um, and continue fulfilling the assignment because um, that is uh, the 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 best part. Uh, it's not about necessarily getting an A, but it's definitely an anchoring thing in terms of um, understanding someone's vision, especially if it's somebody that you've whose influence you've been under for so long, and also. Um, fulfilling the role of like scene partner for somebody who is super impressive. And, um, and if it, if it comes with actually inspiring somebody else that maybe that's the component that I'm kind of like unwilling to recognize because it can make my, I, I see the body language. I feel like you can't even. It can just kind of yeah. make my heart explode a little yeah. bit because I suppose that, like, to think 
you know, because I needed all of this, you know, not this work, but I needed it growing up. I needed the movies and I needed these directors and I needed these performances. And um, I, 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 I grew up very lucky and very privileged, but, um, but, but my, my heart and my imagination, you know, I, 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 it wasn't simply an interest. It was an identity and I needed it. Therefore to even entertain a little bit that I could mean that I don't, I, that I could mean that to somebody that is, um, very like it, it borders on like being emotionally a little over, over it's, it's very moving and, um, I should, yeah. That's Pedro Pascal, Emmy-nominated star of HBO's The Last of Us, as well as star of Disney Plus's The Mandalorian. And that's it for this edition of Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Zach Levin edited this episode, and Michael Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe to the Award Circuit Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, head on over to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find the latest awards predictions and key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. For Jazz Tanke, Emily Longaretta, and Clayton Davis, I'm Michael Schneider, and we'll see you on the circuit. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.